and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. I'm the co-founder of Cool Mom Picks, and today we're going to be chatting with one of our all-time favorite guests, Dr. Ken Ginsberg, about his newest book, Congrats! You're having a teen. Strengthen your family and raise a good person. Now, I should add that we have been so enthralled and moved by Ken's work that Cool Mom Picks is officially a mission partner with the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, which Ken co-founded, and we could not be more thrilled about that collaboration. You'll hear more about that on our social media and on our site and here on the podcast, so stay tuned. And as always, we will close out our show with our Cool Picks of the Week. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Camp Tuku. If you have a child ages 6 to 14, Camp Tuku is where nature meets joyful minds. This exceptionally beautiful co-ed sleepaway camp has two locations, including one resting in 1,000 acres of pristine wilderness in the Catskill Mountains of New York, surrounded by stunning lakes, breathtaking waterfalls, and miles of hiking trails. Sounds kind of good to me right now. Camp Tuku's activities are designed to engage the whole child, mind, body, and heart. That means their week-long session will be packed with traditional summer camp activities like aquatics and boating, archery, hiking, crafts, drama, team building, innovations and STEAM activities, and more. While a focus on mindfulness also incorporates mindfulness practices to help kids develop resilience, empathy, focus, gratitude, confidence, and resourcefulness. So many good things. At the end of the day, your kids will get to settle down in beautifully modern bunks at Camp Tuku with children their age from all over the country some of whom may turn out to be their friends for life. To learn more about Camp Tuku in Huguenot, New York, just go to camptuku.org. That's Camp Tuku, T-U-K-U dot org. Sign them up for a one-week session today and use code CMP23UUTK. That's CMP23UUTK. You'll receive a $50 discount on your child's registration for either Camp Tuku New York or Camp Tuku in Arizona. The offer expires March 31st, 2023. Again, use code CMP23UUTK at camptuku.org. You can find all the information in our show notes for today's episode right here in the app or visit coolmompics.com. And thanks so much to Camp Tuku for graciously sponsoring this episode of Spawned. Now, before I start talking to Ken, and let me be honest, today on Instagram, I shared many of his past episodes with us. So most of you will probably be familiar with his work. But if you're not, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Dr. Ken Ginsberg is a physician, adolescent medicine specialist, and professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He is co-founder of the Center for Parent and Teen Communication and is committed to preparing adults to be the kind of people that adolescents deserve in their lives. He supports organizations in developing programs and policies that strengthen families and see young people through strength-based lenses. He speaks to parents, professionals, youth audiences nationally and internationally, and is the author of five award-winning parenting books, as well as a toolkit for youth-serving professionals 
Today, we're going to be talking about his latest book, though, Congrats, You're Having a Teen, which is out now wherever you get your books. Ken, it's so great to talk to you. Welcome to Spond. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about this conversation. It's good to talk to you, Kristen. Well, we're going to get right to it. And I know that you can appreciate that because there is a lot to talk about when it comes to this topic. And we both know, and I think there may be some people out there that are aware that there are a lot of myths about teens and parenting them. And that's why you're new book is so important. But I want to know, in your research and your experience, where did these myths come from? Like, how did we get to where we are today, which is, I would say, a skewed belief about parenting teens and a lot of misunderstanding? Right. So I'm not sure I have the perfect answer for this. Like, where do false ideas come from generally? Sometimes they are created because it's fun to talk about false ideas. Because if you're standing on the side of a soccer tournament, it's a lot more fun and interesting to talk to your friends about the struggle you went through with your daughter than the fact that at the end of the night, she came in and nestled her head in your arms and you cuddled. Like, that's not a story. Human beings like to talk about problems. But let's take it to one other level of honesty here. Some of the myths about adolescence are rooted in some truths that have been misinterpreted. Part of the reason I wrote this book is that if you know the truths about adolescence and you understand why they sometimes behave the way they do, you're going to make it so that the myths don't come true. For example, one of the myths about adolescence is they don't like their parents and they don't care what adults think. That's a widely held myth. It's deeply dangerous because if you believe that myth, you won't be engaging during the time in your child's development when they need you the most. But where does it come from? Did someone like just write it on a wall and people believed it? No, it came from the fact that kids really do push their parents away, but they don't push us away because they don't care what we think or because they don't like us. It's actually the opposite. They push us away because their job is to become more independent. Their job is to fly from that nest. And if you're going to get ready to fly from that nest, you have to believe you don't need someone to come and bring you the fat, juicy worms. You have to begin imagining the nest is prickly. Otherwise, you wouldn't fly. So do kids push us away? Yes, but not because they don't care what we think. Actually, because they love us so much that it hurts. Hurts. And knowing they're going to need to fly is a painful phenomenon. It's hard to say, Mom, Dad, I'm feeling so insecure in my growing independence. It's a lot easier to say, I don't need you. But if we only listen to the words, we're going to misinterpret the truth and we're going to disempower ourselves when we're needed the most. That's why I love talking to you, because I feel like so much of what you do is taking what people know, taking what people have heard and reframing it. And I don't want to say necessarily correcting it, but it allows us to have an understanding of why we may see things one way. We don't know where those negatives came from, but we see them in a certain way and really providing a reframe that I find to be very gentle and very comforting, still very firm and straightforward, as I imagine Maybe that's how parents should approach parenting in general. Let's talk about this phrase, surviving the teen years. Oh my gosh, we hear it everywhere. It's all over the place. It's in magazine articles and books. You're going to survive. You can survive. Why is that phrase so frustrating? Why is that detrimental? Yeah, so I actually think it's toxic, if not poisonous. If 
I approach this point in my child's life where my opportunity to guide them is intense. I can make such a difference in my child's life. But if instead I am hearing from experts who suggest that it's a time to survive, then I'm going to duck and cover. I'm not going to engage. If I think that my job is to just get through this time, then I'm going to forego this amazing opportunity to be deeply involved. So I actually have a very serious problem with that word being used in book titles. And let's be honest about something. Human relationships are complicated, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your best friend, whether it's with your boss or your colleague, human relationships are complicated. And the ones that feel the most complicated are always the ones that matter the most. So there are some truths about adolescence and about adolescent development that if we understand it, we know how much we matter. We understand how great an opportunity this is to engage. And if we go in with the mindset of survival, we're throwing that opportunity away and we're saying, you know what? Forget about working hard. If you read my stuff or listen to me, I've never said like, this is a bed of roses or it's easy. If it was easy, I wouldn't be writing books, right? But what I'm saying is, this is not a time to survive. This is a time to engage. This is a time to create the kind of relationships that are going to last a lifetime. And if you're just trying to survive a period of time when your kid actually needs you the most, then when you come up and you've survived because you've chosen not to pay attention, that kid isn't going to look at you as a person who was vital in their development. And that's going to have implications for the next 60 years of your lives. You say opportunity a lot. You know, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for parents. It's an opportunity for teens. I would love to hear more about what you mean, because I've heard you say it before. It's in the book. It's in a lot of your work. Like this is an opportunity for parents. For what? Talk more about that. So let's first talk about the word as opposed to survival. When you hear the word opportunity, it means I shouldn't be ducking and covering. I should be engaging. So language matters. But to talk about the human brain and human development for a minute, there are two times of astoundingly rapid brain growth in human development. So don't get me wrong. Whatever age your child is, now is the day to intervene. Now is the day to engage. So don't wait for adolescence. But what I will tell you is that from birth to three years old is a time when the brain, which remembers the operating system for how we're going to operate in the whole rest of our life, both in our thinking and our emotions and our human connections, it's all coming through our brain. Well, zero to three is when we form those deep connections. And then childhood, there's development and it's happening pretty rapidly. And then there's this astounding moment when adolescence begins, where the human brain is developing so rapidly. Kids are super learners and they are trying to get in as much information as they can. And because they're trying to get in so much information, they're going to be stretching. They're going to be stretching into any territory they can to get all the information that's going to help them have knowledge for the rest of their lives. So this is an opportunity to help them learn. This is an opportunity to help them shape themselves. And shaping themselves isn't just about success and who they're going to be. It's also the kind of human being they are in terms of relationships. Will they understand how much people matter to each other? How much all of us are imperfect, all of us are uneven, 
but with each other's support, we can be our best selves. This is an amazing opportunity to learn that. And precisely because there are so many moving pieces of development during adolescence, it's a hard time to go through. Your brain is changing. Your body is changing. Your social lives are changing. Your friendships are changing. What you need is security to get through it. Who's going to give you that security more than anybody? It's the person who knows you better than anybody else, everything that's good and right, and your challenges, and chooses to still love you. It's an opportunity to shape. It's an opportunity to guide. It's an opportunity to teach. But more than anything, this is an opportunity to launch your child into an adulthood where they're feeling secure. Because when they know that the person who knows them the most stood by them, was there by their side, didn't tell them what to do, but was always the wind behind their sails, then they're launching into adulthood saying, you know, the person who knows me the most, loves me. I must be worthy of love. Makes perfect sense to me when you say it like that. I think we all maybe just need a recording of you in our ears. So when things get hard and we feel as though we want to take a step back, you know, I think about what you always say is that instead of leaning back, we need to lean in. It just looks different than it might have when our kids were zero to three, right? The leaning in, the being there, the being supportive is a lot different. Now, let's talk a little bit about this myth. You already hinted at it. And we've spoken about it before, but I really want to hammer this one home, this idea that our teens don't need us, right? Because I feel like this is a big one for so many people. And if I may sort of add on a little bit, this idea that teens should know. I feel like many people hold their teenagers to adult standards, that somehow they should behave better, they should behave like adults, or they should make decisions like adults. And I personally find that to be something that I push against. And I'm like, no, no, that's not the case. Just because they're 16, et cetera, like there are things happening. So let's talk about this idea, right, that our teens don't need us and then talk about what it does if we're holding them to this high standard, if I may describe it like that. Yeah. So those are some really great questions. Undoubtedly, our teens need us. Our teens need us to see them as they deserve to be seen. When we went back a few minutes ago, you know, Kristen, you said like what everybody needs is my words in their ears. No, they don't. You know what they need? They need to look at their child. They need to look at their child who stands in front of them and who might in the moment not smell as good as they did when they were three years old. Right. And not look as cute as they did when they were three years old. But look at that child who is just a little bit taller and filling out and now understand that all of their essential core goodness is still there. You know your child best, their generosity, their sense of humor, their integrity, their compassion, their commitment to justice, whatever it is. I don't know your kid, but you do. Look at them. And when you're talking about high standards, what I want you to do is have intensely high standards, but in the right category. It's not about performance. It's not about grades. It's not about scores on the field. It's about who they are. Hands down, the most protective thing in a young life is to have someone really know them and hold you to being your best self so that when you criticize, it's all in the context of what you know their potential is and what they're capable of. 
Those are the high standards that we never change. But then we also understand something else. You know, when you were talking earlier about the fact that we tend to be less forgiving of our adolescence, I think that's true. And I think it is because our eyes get fooled because our kids are suddenly taller than us. They should be wiser. They can have conversations where they disagree with us and talk about all sorts of new complexities they couldn't talk about. So you kind of, for a minute, might think they're done cooking, but they're not. They're still in development and they're still learning. And what we want to do is celebrate their new ability to think and their new ability to consider without thinking that their thinking is done or that their consideration is complete. Let's look at them as super learners who are actively stretching and growing and who need our guidance. And if you have any doubt about this, Kristen, I'm going to invite everyone to do a little exercise. Go look in the mirror. And ask yourself, are you done? Do you no longer need human support? Have you had it all figured out? And you're still tall, you know, and you look like you're an adult, but we are all works in progress. And I think the reason we give our teens a little bit less latitude sometimes is that they might talk back to us. And that can be frustrating, but they're talking back at us because they're figuring out who they are separate from us. And part of that process is to be able to argue with you. Well, that exercise that you just spoke about, I was imagining it as you were saying it. And that is very striking. That evokes a lot for me personally, as someone who is continually on a path of growth. And I'm 46. You know, I have an 18 year old and a 16 year old, 14 and 12. And I think back about how little I knew, how much I thought I did, right, which is part of it. I think that may also be some of the challenge, right? But looking at where I am now and imagining I am still working. I am still growing. Thank goodness for that. So I I really appreciate that. I think that's going to resonate a lot with our listeners. I want to talk a little bit about myself because I believe there are other parents who can relate to some of the things that I am going through, which is knowing when to jump in and when to stay out of things. And a lot of that for me has been understanding each of my children's personalities. Some of them are very different, surprise, than the others. They're different than me in some ways when I'm feeling triggered, right? I'm anxious myself. Something has happened and I'm worked up, if you will. I do find that being curious can help calm me down. And so what I have started doing is I ask myself these questions. Will it harm them if I don't do anything? Is this the lesson that needs to be learned today? And what does that look like? Are there other things or maybe you have other suggestions for me? Just in general, what can parents do when they find themselves in that situation where it's like, do I say something? Do I not? Do I intervene? Do I not? That will help us gut check before we make that decision. So there's a metaphor that I always use, which is the puzzle metaphor. Imagine that your adolescent is putting together a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, but this puzzle was called who am I? And it's a hard job. And that's the exploration that they're going through. So how do you put together a puzzle? The first thing you do is you put together the edges because those are the pieces that are concrete. And that's where we really come in. That's what discipline is, is having very clear boundaries beyond which kids can't stray. That actually helps them put together their puzzle. That's not restricting to them or controlling of them it actually allows them to experiment because they have very clear boundaries which they can't stray beyond. What's the next thing you do? The next thing you do is you begin 
grouping together pieces that look similar. And you begin to wonder, wow, I put together a bunch of reds. Is this going to be a balloon or a fire engine or a lollipop? But you don't have the patience to wait. So what are you going to do? You're going to look at the cover of the box. That's our next role. We are the covers of the box. We are people who are works in progress, but who have shown how it is that you're an adult, not who has it all together, but who's working to be a good person, right? So we are the covers on the box. What's left? It's all the random pieces in the middle that you can't easily group. You know what you're working toward because you have the cover in the box. In other words, your parent is a role model. You have the edges of the box. In other words, your parent very clearly having created boundaries. What's left? All the random pieces in the middle. This is where your kids can make mistakes. So when I work with families, I have them actually have a discussion. Is this problem or this issue outside of the boundaries of the borders of the puzzle, in which case jump in because they're in dangerous territory, or is it safely within boundaries where really they just have to figure out how the pieces pull together, but they're within safe boundaries and you know you've modeled for them what it means to be a good adult. So within the puzzle boundaries, get out of the way, but role model, outside the boundaries, jump in. And the final thought is, you know when to jump in. You've always known when to jump in, right? When your kid was two years old and you were like making cookies, you let them spill the flour on the ground. You made a big deal of it and you let them have the experience of cleaning it up. But you didn't let them put their hand on their stove. You didn't let them walk into the street. So the reality is every stage of human development, including adulthood, has hand on the stove moments. And if this is a hand on the stove moment, don't think about reflection and saying the right words. Just do what it takes to let them not put the hand on the stove. An example of that is, no, you may never get into a car with anybody using substances. Never. That's a hand on the stove moment. But most of the other things like, have I studied hard enough for my test? That's within the puzzle pieces. Let them learn life's lessons. It's safe. It's not a hand on the stove moment. You'll be able to guide them later after life has taught its own lessons. That makes perfect sense. And again, I think that example of a puzzle, although there are some people who start in the middle and I, I don't understand them. <laughs> I, always, I always do the edges first, Ken, when I'm doing a puzzle. So many of us actually got back into puzzles, right, during the pandemic. So I think so many people can relate to that. You know, I also have discovered in parenting my teens that there are a lot of shoulds and they're from maybe my childhood or, you know, my own teen years or what I've observed other people doing. And they can range from everything like we should be talking this out in person rather than texting, right? They should apologize for the things that they've done or they should be excited about choosing colleges. You know, how do we embrace our own experience, honor what we had and then move to a place where we're able to see our children for who they are and understand that, for instance, with my son, where we're having a heated discussion, there comes a point in time where we're both triggered and it's not going to go anywhere. It's only going to get worse. And stepping away from it and texting him is a straight line to understanding. It happens every time for me. I get a text message back where he's like, oh, that makes sense. I'm sorry that I said it like that. This is what I meant. But, you know, in past experience, I would oftentimes be like, well, 
but we can just solve it. We need to solve it in person because that's what people do. So I'd love to hear you talk more about that. I, I can't imagine that this is the first time you've ever heard anyone say anything like that before. I really love talking to you, Kristen. Like your transparency and your self-reflection is exactly what parents should be going through. We should be wrestling. We should be looking at patterns that we've developed that we can rethink. And I feel like every time I talk to you, we're doing that in real time and I'm loving it. So with that said, when you're child and you have a fight and your first instinct is I should work it out now, but instead you walk away and text later, you've actually done some outstanding parenting and some real modeling. Because what you've shown the kid is, I'm not at my best self when I'm irritable or angry. And one of the best things we can do for our kids is to teach them how to self-regulate, how to calm their nerves how sometimes they need space or to step away before they're thoughtful. So the reason this is working for you has nothing to do with the text. And it has everything to do with the fact that you've communicated, I chose not to engage when I couldn't be your best mother. And when I got to calm is when I can be wiser. And therefore, the kid's able to learn, I need to get to calm to be wise. And naturally, he's going to respond with a wiser answer. So that's to the second half of what you said. Can we back up to the first half of the point? The word should. I really believe in parenting with values. I'm not in any means a like laissez-faire parent who just believes that kids should do everything on their own. I believe kids are the experts in their own lives, but there were vital guides. But what I really don't believe in is the parenting that is filled with guilts. And, you know, the classic parenting in our generation, and I'm a bit older than you, is, you know, darling, I'm not angry at you. I'm just disappointed. Well, it's like killing this generation because disappointing their parent is overwhelming to them. And that drives anxiety. Another thing that drives anxiety is the word should. Whether it's you. So if you listen to what you were saying, Kristen, you were talking about two levels of the word should. The words you would implant in your child's mind about what they should do. But I was also hearing your own internal dialogue about what you should do. So cognitive behavioral therapy 101, which is like the best thing to decrease anxiety is to get rid of the word should because the thing that's in our head that makes us angry at ourselves, that make us feel like we're never good enough is this internal dialogue. And most of those sentences begin with the word I should, I better, if I don't then. And once you're operating from the word should, then it's just a matter of spiraling into catastrophic thinking. And that's what drives anxiety. Because if I should be doing this, and I'm not yet ready, there must be something wrong with me, and it's going to lead to a disaster. So to cut back on anxiety, we teach people to catch the word should. If I'm guiding you how to be a parent who's more effective, I would say, how about not implanting the word should in your kid's head in the first place? Instead, work with them to help them figure out what would work for them, what fits into their life journey, what are their values, what do they care about? And then maybe they can put in the word, I'd like to, it would be my dream to, instead of hearing their mother's voice, you should. That's going to pay off much better behaviorally 
than someone else's voice inside their head. You know, every time I speak with you, I always take, I don't know, a handful of nuggets that I hold closely to me and that really inform the way that I parent all my children. I'm always grateful to speak with you. And the last time I did, right when we worked together on the Washington Post piece that went live last fall, I'll put a link to it in our Cool Mom Picks show notes and our podcast page. I think it's a really valuable conversation that we had about your work and about your new book and about parenting teens. But the one thing that I have actually quoted in some of the interviews that I've done recently is this idea that the longest relationship that we are going to have with our kids is as adults. And that's why these conversations that I'm having with you today and that you're having with parents and teens is so important. So let's talk about why this is so important. Why do we want to have a lifelong relationship? I mean, this may be a rhetorical question, right? That's not fraught with obligation, right? You talked about like, do you want to see your children on more than just the holidays? And that really struck a chord with me because that is where I am at with my own relationship with my mother and what I'm trying to work on with her right now. And I am 46 and she's in her 70s. But I want to hit the ground running with my kids. So what do you say to people when they're like, oh, my work is done. And then we hear this is the longest relationship is when your kids are adults. What do you follow that up with? What is the thing that people can take away from that and really put into action in their relationship with their teenager right now? Yeah, so you're in charge of your kid until they're 18 and responsible legally for them. But there's a really good chance you're going to have 40 or 50 more years with them, which is amazing for us. And it's not like I invented this concept, quite the opposite. Human flourishing has always been about intergenerational interdependence. You know, I'm in this phase of life now and it is phenomenal. I have twin girls, they're 27 years old, and I'm telling you, I have more fun with them than anything else I do. And if I had said that when they were 17, that would not have been good parenting because at that time they didn't need friends, right? They didn't need me to be their friend because their friends were judging them. They needed someone who wasn't going to judge them. Now that they're adults, I honestly, I give them advice all the time, but you know what? I get fantastic advice from them all the time. And it's really a blessing in my life. So if I had to give you, for lack of a better word, a trick, it would be don't install control, right? When we control our kids and we say, you're going to do what I say. Why? Because I said so. I know what's best. Then what happens is our kids, as soon as they can get out of our houses, don't really want to turn back. Because as adults, you want to make your own decisions. You want to make your own decisions about how to be a parent, about how to be a friend, about who to love, about who to hang out with. You want your own decisions. And if your perception of your parents is that they control you and tell you what to do, you're not going to want them in your life. You're also not going to want them in your life if the most rapid place of your development where you didn't know who you were, they were surviving instead of engaging. What do you want? You want people who enjoyed you, who knew you, who saw you in all of your complexity and chose to love you, who supported you and guided you, but didn't control you. If that's the way you raise your kid, they're going to want you in their life forever. Human beings always need advice. They always need love. They always need someone to look at to say, 
Who am I in my best light? Well, Ken, I have to say, once again, I think you're like, what is it? Three for three, four for four. (laughs) One of our most frequent guests on Spawn. And I know you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week, but I do want to tell everyone where they can find you. Of course, you can grab Ken's book, Congrats, You're Having a Teen, wherever you get your books. And one thing I want to remind our listeners about purchasing a book is that if you love the book, if it moves you, take a minute or two. It doesn't take that long. Go over to Amazon and leave a review. It actually really helps authors. And of course, we support our indie bookstores. You know that about Cool Mom Picks. But when it comes to reviews, Amazon really does have an algorithm that can make or break. So let's make this book super popular. You read it, you love it. Go leave a review on Amazon. And of course, you can find Ken and his work all over the internet and on social media. It's Parent and Teen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can go to parentandteen.com. And as I mentioned before, we are a mission partner with the Center for Parent and Teen Communication. That site has so many fantastic resources for parents. I cannot recommend it more highly. You really need to make sure that that is bookmarked. So with that in mind, it is now time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Ken, you're my guest. That means you get to go first. Yeah. So, you know, I know that I'm a pretty intense guy, especially when it comes to parenting. And I talk about all the things we need to do to dive into parent and communicate the right way so that we have the best relationships. So to keep it just as important, but a little bit more lighthearted, I want to point out a Washington Post article that came out about a week ago called Laughter Really is Contagious, and that's good. It's a wonderful article about the science of laughter, but I want to read one line from it. It says, studies indicate that laughter can strengthen relationship connections. This happens in part because people naturally want to be around those who make them feel good the way laughing does. So this article written by Daryl Austin, I just want to give a shout out and to say like, yeah, I'm intense. But remember how we ended. We ended with why do you want to be in a relationship with someone for the 50 years after they get out of their house? How about we play together and laugh together too? I love it. That is a great piece. I'll be sure to link that up, of course, along with your book and all of the places you are on the web on our podcast page. So my cool pick of the week is a wonderful Facebook group. I would say it's specifically for moms. I don't want to exclude other, you know, dads or parents, but it's called the Mom Edit Insiders. And it's a Facebook group for the site, The Mom Edit. I enjoy fashion. I enjoy the adventure of dressing as a 40-something mom, trying to stay cool, but like have my own style. And so I want to talk about the Mom Edit Facebook group because I have been in there for a long time and it is the most supportive places. You don't really find on the web that often, but when it comes to fashion, you can just post your outfits if you have a question about like what shoes you should wear with which outfit or should you buy this jacket or where was that 
shirt that I saw on that TV show. You can pop into that Facebook group. They are so supportive. They will help you out. They'll give you tips, tricks, advice, and just be super encouraging about this journey that we as moms are on, which is evolving ourselves, right? I started out as a mom at 28 and now I'm 46. So things have changed. And so I really love that group. And just to kind of piggyback that, my friend Orly Shani has a new course out. It's called Style Language. I highly, highly recommend it. She actually has coined this formula to help you figure out your style. It is the coolest thing ever. She's running a video course, but you can follow her on TikTok and Instagram, Orly, O-R-L-Y, Shani, S-H-A-N-I. She's fantastic. So if you're super into fashion or you want to get back into it, this style language that she has created is incredible. So I know that was a little bit of a twofer, but you know what? It's kind of related. And of course, again, we'll link everything up over on our podcast page. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Ken, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I love talking to you. And huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. Now, if you've got a moment and you can leave us a five-star review, we greatly appreciate it by doing that. And when you subscribe and download our episodes, it helps other listeners like you find us. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Cool Mom Picks, P-I-C-K-S. We also have a Spawn podcast community on Facebook, as well as Recipe Rescue and OutTech Your Kids. And we would love to have you join us there. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye.